Awesome. Thank you, Simon. Gosh, all, all of you who feel like I'm, you know, giving rides at, to people in youth ministry and stuff like that, it all comes back around full circle, right? So senior in high school driving the freshman and now the freshman. It's like, a, I remember I used to drive, a, there's a sixth grader named Isaac Lee. I used to drive him to and from youth meetings. And then uh, one day he got all big and older and I didn't have a car. So I was like, Isaac, can you drive me home? <laughs> it's like this really kind of uh, interesting uh, dynamic. But Wonderful to see everyone. Can we do this? Let's, let's uh, loosen up. Hey, Hannah Chu is here. Hannah was in Tanzania for about uh, 10 days. Uh, welcome back, Hannah. Um, yeah, thank you all for praying for her as well. Can we do this? Let's take a look at three people around you. Can you look at three people and just say hello to them? Um, if you want to say something, you can. If you want to stand up, you can. If you want to wave at them, you can. But three people, just say hello. Uh, I feel a little bit stiff in here. Can we uh, loosen up a little bit? Uh, as we greet each other in the name of the Lord. Wonderful, and wonderful to see everyone who is worshiping online. Actually, I can't see you, but you can see us. Thank you for being here. I was at um, Barnes & Noble the other day. I was at Barnes & Noble, and uh, at San Legro, you know, they have this little cafe there, and it's this, like, Starbucks cafe. So I was sitting there doing some work at one of the tables right near the cash register, and I overheard this lady talking. So I overheard her talking, and then I, I'm kind of eavesdropping because I like to do this. I'm kind of... Uh, this is what psychology majors do. We like, like observing and in, in interactions and things like that. And so um, she goes up there and she's like, first thing she says is, do you take Starbucks rewards? And he says, we don't take it. And she's like, oh, you guys, how, why not? And he said, we're not Starbucks. And so she's kind of like a little bit perplexed by it. And so I, you know, I'm fascinated by this. So I kind of turn around and, and I'm, I'm kind of trying to watch this all play out. So she's looking around at what she wants to get, and she goes to the, <coughs> the, the glass display counter, and she says, um, do you guys have cheese danishes? Do you have cheese danishes? He says, no, we don't. And she's like, ah, that stinks. I get them all the time. And he said, no, we're not Starbucks. <laughs> That's what he said. And so she's a little bit perplexed because she looks around at the menu, and it says Starbucks. It has the green Starbucks lady on it, but they say they're not Starbucks. And so she orders her food, and, and when she goes to pay, she takes out her phone, and she's looking to pay with her phone. And he said, are you trying to pay with the Starbucks app? And she says, yes. And he says, we don't accept the app. And she says, why not? And he says, for a third time, he says, because we're not Starbucks. At this point, the third time she hears that, she gets really angry. She gets really angry, and she's like, Puff, huffing and puffing and saying all this stuff in her mind. And, and, and it was like I was watching this moment and it was really funny to me. But on one level, I feel like she's overly angry. Like she should have taken the hint. They're not Starbucks. They're not going to do a lot of things that Starbucks does. But at the other hand, on the other hand, I understand what she's feeling. Because as she looks up and she sees there are Frappuccinos with an R around the circle, with a circle around the R next to it, there are Starbucks logos, there's Starbucks paraphernalia around the place. They act like they're Starbucks, but at the end of the day, they say, we're not Starbucks. And I could see how confusing that would be for somebody when everything about them is saying that we're Starbucks, but they're actually not Starbucks. You can understand how confusing that would be. You can understand how frustrating that might be also. And you can then understand the heart then of the little brother of Jesus. As he's living after his brother has died and rose again, as he's living life, 
And he sees all of these people saying that we bear the name of Jesus Christ, who say they're Christians, have the label of Christian, look like Christians, but at the end of the day, the actions and the things that they do not have betray the fact that we're not Starbucks. (laughs) We're not Christians. He's saying if you really are a Christian and you bear the name of Jesus, then there ought to be things in your life that make you different, that cause people to be able to say you are who you say you are. We've been looking at the, gospel, at the book of James and seeing that there are certain things that if you really have faith and you believe in Jesus, there are certain things that ought to be different about the way that we live life. Our relationships with people ought to be different. The things that we say ought to be different. How you deal with conflict and hardship in life ought to be different. The things that you do with your time ought to be different. And today we're going to look at another expression that James gives and how if you really believe in Jesus, there ought to be a difference in the way that you live life. We're going to talk about a very real issue. But what if we, if I just say, we're going to be talking about pride today, many of you would run away and say, you know what, I don't need to deal with that. But what James does is he exposes some of the subtle and under-the-table ways that pride manifests itself in our lives. And we're going to see that the pride and the manifestation of pride that James talks about, is, has actually become a quite acceptable sin in our day. You know what acceptable sins are. You know what unacceptable sins are. There are certain things that you ought not do. As a Christian, I know I shouldn't get drunk. Okay? As a Christian, I know I shouldn't kill people. Okay? As a Christian, I know I shouldn't cheat on my taxes. I shouldn't lie to other people. But then there are other things that aren't so bad. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at these quote-unquote acceptable sins as James talks about them, and we're going to see that what actually James says is these are evil. And of all the words that he could use, that's the word he uses. We're going to look at James chapter 4, verses 11 through 17, and we're going to look at two manifestations of pride that may be creeping up in our lives that we need to nip in the bud before it becomes more than it is. James chapter 4, we're going to do verses 11 through 17 today. This is the word of God for the people of God. He says, brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law, the word of God, the law of God, and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? Your mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. This is God's word. So what do we see here? James is talking about pridefulness, boasting, things that we ought not do. And what he's saying is there's a couple ways that this shows up. If pride at the, at the heart of it is 
realizing and knowing, okay, we know that there's one God and is not me, what pride does is it wants to take the place of God. And so the title of this message is, when people, when humans act like God. That's what pride is. And so what James is doing, he's showing two ways that we act like God. And so here's the first thing, uh, two things. First thing we see, verses 11 and 12, and then the second thing in verses 13 to 17. The first thing that we see is you act like God when you judge other people. Okay, you act like God when you judge other people. And here's the way he says it. He says, brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law. So he lumps all these things together. This, these uh, sins of the tongue, slander and speaking against somebody, fall under the same family as gossip or speaking ill of people or backbiting or talking badly about other people. Okay, these are the things that he's talking about here. He says, whenever you talk badly about someone, this is a bad thing. And he says, especially, he said, one, he's talking to brothers, and then he says, anyone who speaks against his brother, literally the second brother he's talking about says, brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against someone from the same womb. So literally what he's saying is, okay, brothers, people within the church, sisters, people within the church, don't slander anyone, and anyone who speaks against someone from the same womb. So in other words, he's saying, it's more insidious. You shouldn't talk about people in general, but more so within the family of God. In other words, he, he, he kind of ratchets up the pressure and says, You're, you ought not talk badly about anybody, but even more so, you shouldn't talk about people within your own family of God. Because the sins that happen within the family can be a little bit more dangerous and harmful and destructive. This is what James is saying. You've, you've been there before, haven't you? You know people like this. Maybe you're like this. Maybe you're worshiping online today, and you're like this. Like, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to church. Because one time I shared my secret with somebody, and they made my secret everybody's business. You know parents like this. Maybe your parents are like this, or maybe your parents' friends are like this, who say, you know what, I'm not going to church. No, I'm not going to church. I'm not going to that church. I'm not going to the neighborhood church. I'm not going to the Korean church, because you know those churches talk so much. They talk so much. Like, that's the nature, and they, they kind of lump this entire group of, of people of an ethnic background into this. These uh, Asian people talk too much, or these Latino people talk too much, or these church people talk too much. You know people like that, don't you? Because of what has been said about them, they decide they're not going to come to church anymore. Because when gossip begins to work its way through a community of faith, it is far more destructive than if it's just out there in general. Because this not ought to be amongst the people of God. I remember when I was in, in, in high school, uh, we took a trip. We, a bunch of us uh, in our youth ministry went to another church for what's called a revival meeting. So another church was having a guest speaker. They invited all these uh, local area churches to come and worship together. And one of the cars that was going from our church got into an accident, and they couldn't make it. And so afterwards, we're kind of sitting around, and we, we went back to the car, and we're talking to the people. And one of the guys in our youth ministry, he was like a junior or senior, one of the, the, the leaders of our group, he said, hey, did you guys pray before that car left? Did you guys pray in your car? He was kind of self-righteous. He said, did you guys pray? And they said, yeah, of course we prayed before we left. And he said, who prayed? And they said, this girl prayed. This girl was kind of a fringe member. She wasn't really committed to the Lord, but she came out. Um, she, liked, she liked the friendship. She liked the boys in our church. And so she came out, and they said she prayed. And he said, that's the reason you guys got into a car accident. Because she didn't pray for blessings, she probably cursed the trip. That's why he got into an accident. And if this girl was on the fringe, 
of our youth ministry before then, she was pushed even more to the fringe of our youth ministry after that. Because when we begin to talk within the family of God, it has devastating effects. When I was a youth pastor, I used to tell our people, hey, uh, we're not going to, there weren't many rules that I imposed. I, but, but I said, just as a, as a wisdom principle, let's say this, okay? Let's not have people date within our youth ministry. You get to college, you get older, I would love for people to get married within our church. Absolutely. And so we've had many people in our church, probably like 20, 30 people within our church get married. I think that's awesome. But in, your, in high school, because chances are 95% of the time, these relationships aren't going to end up in a healthy place, nor will they end up in marriage. And so I said, let's not. Because what happens when you guys break up, here's what's going to happen. Your buddies, dude's buddies, are going to say, oh, my gosh, she's so mean, she's so bad, I can't believe what she did to you. The girl's friends are going to be like, dude, that guy's awful, he's a snake, he's such a jerk, I can't believe he did that. And people begin to take sides, and gossip begins to work its way out. And so people are like, dude, you know what, the DL, I really like this girl, I really want to ask her out. Uh, Then either you should pray a long time and then wait, and then perhaps when your spiritual leaders say it's a good time, then, then maybe, that's wisdom, or... One of you can just go to a different church. <laughs> that way, if you guys break up, then it's not going to be our, everybody's business. Because you know how insidious gossip can be when it works its way through the people of God. Can I ask you a question? When you guys get together with your friends, just hanging out, it's a sleepover. You're hanging out after house church. You're hanging out drinking coffee at the local coffee shop, Han Coffee. What do you guys talk about as you hang out with each other? You talk about, maybe you talk about Maverick, that's awesome, good movie, I haven't seen it, but maybe it's a good movie from what I hear. Do you talk about school, you talk about work, what do you talk about? Do you talk about your spiritual lives? It's a great thing to talk about, right? How we're doing in our relationship, what, what God is teaching us. What do you talk about people? I can't believe, did you, did you hear what she did? Did you hear what he said about such and such? I'm only, I haven't, I don't tell this to everybody, but since you guys are so close, you ought to know. But don't tell anyone else or else I'll get in trouble. I'm, I'm, ju- I'm saying this because you care about them, right? You care about them? And we got to, yeah, we got we to gotta help them out here. It, he says, when you, when you do this, slander one another, speak against his brother. I, I, do you, do you say things about other people that you wouldn't say about them if they were there at the table with you? If you do, that's probably gossip. It's probably slander. It's probably things that you shouldn't say. If you're fine saying those things and they'd be there, if, if they were there, then maybe that's okay. But if you're saying things that if they were there, you wouldn't dare say, then you're crossing certain lines. What James is saying is when you do this, you're not just gossiping, you're not just slandering, you're doing far worse than that. He says you're actually judging them, okay? Anyone who speaks against his brother judges him, speaks against the law, and judges it. It judges the law. Okay, James talked about this. Whenever he talks about the law, he's talking about the royal law of love. So you love your neighbor, you treat your neighbor the way that you want to be loved. So if you want someone talking about you the way that you're talking about them, then go ahead and do it. But if you wouldn't want someone saying about you what you're saying about somebody else, they say you're breaking the law, breaking the royal law. And you're actually standing in judgment on the law. When you say, okay, I'm surrendered to, I'm surrendered to the word of God, the teaching of God, but you don't do it, you're actually standing in judgment on it, saying I don't need it. Like I'm above the law. You know people like this, right? 
Don't you hate people who act like they're above the law? Like, that law doesn't apply to me. You're like, hey, don't talk at the movie theater, and someone is talk, talk, talking. That bugs you, doesn't it? It annoys you. Absolutely. Because they, who, are, who are they to think that they're above the law? Why, why did they bring their baby, like their, their, their three-month-old baby? Like, why did the baby's like crying the entire time? It's like 11 o'clock showing at the movies. They ought to be asleep, and they're bothering everybody. Or when you're going like in a 55-mile-an-hour zone, you're going 70 miles an hour, you're like, that's kind of acceptable. When a car zooms by going 95, you're like, oh, my gosh, that car is awful. So bad. I can't believe they're doing that. Or in a 55-mile-an-hour zone, when they're going 54, you're like, oh, they don't even go the speed limit. Here's the worst. This happened to me recently. We were, uh, this, this week, uh, I, was, I was in a traffic jam trying to go somewhere. I feel like I wasn't all that late, but I was still kind of impatient. And emergency lights come on behind me. I think it was a, it was a, uh, it was a fire truck or an ambulance. And they're going, so we're all pulling over on the side of the road, and this ambulance zooms by, and another car goes right behind it, zooming right behind it. I'm like, dude, what the heck? What makes you think you can do that? You're above the law? That's crazy. James is saying, when you gossip about somebody, that's what you're doing. You're breaking the royal law of love. You're standing in judgment against the law. In other words, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in the position of God. We gossip is no longer just an acceptable sin. Don't you think that she's a little bit too much this? Don't you think that he's like that? Did you notice that he's always like this? I can't believe she wore that. It's not, listen, it's, I think we're so sensitive these days in a lot of ways that if someone calls you out on something, that you get so defensive, right, about everything, even if they're right. You're like, don't judge me. You can't tell me what, don't judge me. See, there's a difference between judgment, like we're looking down on you and judging you, and speaking the truth in love. If someone in your community is living in sin, you've got to call that out. James does that, Paul does that, Peter does that, Jesus does that clearly. That's what we do within the family of God. If someone in my family is doing something wrong, I'm going to call them out. They're not going to say, don't judge me, Dad. Because I'm not speaking as if I'm better than them. I'm speaking out of love. And when someone in the community is going astray, and we have to call that out. That's not judgment. That's love. That's not what James is talking about here. James is saying, when you adopt this attitude that I'm above the law because I can gossip about you, but I don't want you to gossip about me. He says, you're acting like God. But then he gets even more, more explicit about it. Listen to what he says. He said, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy who is that? That's not me. That's not you. That's God. Then he says, but you, <laughs> who are you to judge your neighbor? In other words, other translations say this. When you judge someone, James is saying, who do you think you are? God? When you judge someone through the words that you use, through your gossip of them, through your slander, who do you think you are? God? Because a community with a bunch of little gods is going to have a very difficult time making Christ the king. Who do you think you are? See, why is judgment reserved for God? Because God knows things that we don't know. We make a lot of assumptions about why they were late, about why they didn't respond to your text, about why they didn't answer their phone call. You don't know what they were doing. You don't know that they might have been on the way to the hospital. They might have been in another meeting. They might have been praying. And you're asking them, hey, uh, 
do you remember how much a Big Mac meal cost last time we went to New York? That doesn't matter. But we're judging them because we're acting as if we know everything that only God knows. Chuck Swindoll, he's a, a famous pastor in California. When he was a seminary student at Dallas Theological Seminary, he was a, an upper-class student. He was in charge of, of, of the chapel services, one of the group of people in charge of chapel. And so one year they invited, one day they invited a missionary to come and preach at the chapel service. And the missionary preached this sermon, and he, he preached what Swindoll thought wasn't the best message. It wasn't an amazing message. It was just kind of whatever. Um, so afterwards, that chapel service ended, and Swindoll and his buddies were sitting uh, at the back tables outside of chapel. And he's like, man, that was, a, that, was a, that was a rough message. And he just went on and on. Like, I can't, I can't, I don't know why we invited that missionary to come and speak. It was a bad message. And one underclass student said, hey, you know, Chuck, um, yeah, we shouldn't be quick to judge. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like anybody, anybody would have been able to say that was a bad sermon. And another, another person said, hey, did you know that two hours before he went up to preach, he got a phone call from his wife that his daughter had been murdered? And that two weeks before he came to our school, that his wife had been diagnosed with cancer. I had no idea. How could he? He's not God. And neither are you. And neither am I. So who are we to judge and to gossip as if we have all the information and that we are privy to things that only God would know. You act like God <laughs> when you judge other people. That's the first thing that we see here. Second thing that we see here is you act like God when you leave Him out of your plans. Okay, you act like God when you leave Him out of your plans. Okay? We see this in verses 13 through 17, and we're going to see this. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. You don't even know what, what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? Your mist that appears for a little while and then, bam, vanishes. What is he saying? He says, now listen. And again, we could read this however we want, but in the actual language, this is very forceful. It's actually, it's very brusque, even like it's, it's blunt. It's almost offensive. He's like, I, I need to have a word with you. I need to have a word with you. Who's he talking to? He says, you who say today or tomorrow we'll do all these things. In other words, it's, I mean, this kind of actually sounds like the way that we talk, doesn't it? Hey, what's your plan? Yeah, I'm, in, the, in the fall I'm going to college. What are you going to study? I'm going to study applied kinesiology. I'm going to study electrical engineering. I'm going to study whatever it is. I'm going to study this. Then what? Well, hopefully, like, after four years, I'll, I'll get into med school. Where do you want to go? I want to stay in state because it's going to save money. And then I, what do you want to do after? I want to become a, 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 a surgeon, so I'll go, you know, four more years for whatever it is. And, yeah, I would love to settle down in, in, this, in that place. Kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? He says, now listen up, you who say all these things. Is he against making plans? If you read through the book of Proverbs, he's absolutely not. He's constantly about, you got to make plans, you got to make plans, you got to make plans. What he's speaking against is the one who says all these things. And what James says is, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You might, not even, you might not even have the health to do this tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In other words, he's saying, you don't, life is so unpredictable. 
There's so much that you don't know. So much that you don't know. How can you go on saying these things? And when he says it, he says, uh, verse 18, as it is, you boast and brag. So they're telling everybody about what they're going to do. And then he says, all such boasting is evil. What is, what, is the, what is he calling out here? It's not the planning. It's the pride and the pretentiousness that I know what tomorrow holds. He's like, you don't even know what tomorrow holds, let alone 10, 15 years out. See, this is what we try and do a lot of times, though. It's we try to, when we don't want to submit to the will of God, we need someone to be God, and so we remove God from the throne and we take the place of God. When we make plans without God, this is what we're doing. How many of us are in a place right now that we had no idea we'd be five years ago? And a lot of you are, thank you, thank you. Yeah. A lot of us are in places where five years ago, this was, Orlando wasn't even on the, on the radar. Some of you were absolutely certain that you'd be long gone from Orlando come 2022, but you're here. Some of you are working in companies that you had no, man, in, in your wildest imagination, you would never imagine that this would be your life. Hanging out with some of the people that you never met. Some of you are married to people, you're like, no way. If you told me this five years, not a chance, not a chance. So many things have happened in your life that you had no control over. But see, a lot of people are telling us what the future is going to hold. A lot of people are telling us. Pastors say this sometimes. This year, this is our vision. This is what we're going to accomplish. We're going to do all of these things. We have no idea. CEOs say, this is a year. This is a year. We're going to go public. We're going to do all of these great things. They don't know. Who predicted the pandemic? Who could have predicted the pandemic? Well, there, you know, there are people who did. They didn't predict, not in the way that it happened. How many of you had had your plans change in the past couple years because of COVID? You're now thinking about different jobs or career fields or the different things that you're doing. Now you're studying in programs that you would have never dreamed you'd have been involved with. Best laid plans of mice and men, Steinbeck says, right? My, in my life, I started making plans when I was young. When I was young, when I was in, I remember in eighth grade. I mean, I, we all have dreams when we're children, right, of what we're going to be. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be an astronaut. I remember in eighth grade, I took a, one of those job-o tests, and the three things that it came out with for me, I was, I was going to be a, a truck driver, I was going to be a clergy, and be a park ranger. Those were the three things that it said. Got one of the three right. Not bad. But people are constantly telling us what we're going to be when we grow older, when we get a baby's born, oh my gosh, they look just like their daddy. They're going to be like their dad. Dad's a doctor. Oh my gosh, he's going to be a future doctor. They look just like their mom. Mom is a nurse. She's going to be a nurse just like her mom. Your one-year birthday, if you're, a, if you're an Asian baby or a Korean baby, you're crawling around, you grab something, you grab a stethoscope, ah, oh, yeah, he's going to be a doctor. She's going to be a doctor. Amazing. There's constantly people telling us what we're going to be in our future. So here I am in eighth grade, my dream, my dream, my plans were in eighth grade, I'm going to go to Thomas, I'm going to apply, I'm going to get into, and I'm going to go to Thomas Jefferson High School for science and technology in Alexandria, Virginia, because there's a bunch of smart people there, a bunch of people that I would say nerds, a bunch of mathletes, and I'm going to be the only athlete there, I'm going to play on the basketball team, I'm going to dominate everybody, and I'm going to go to college. God said, nope, you ain't going to go to Thomas Jefferson, because you would fail out of there, you don't know anything about science or technology, I'm going to keep you where you are. So I say, that's all right. That's fine. I'm a junior in high school. I got two colleges I'm applied to, Virginia and Virginia Tech. 
I'm going to apply early to Virginia because that's where I want to go. I applied early to Virginia. God said, nope, you ain't getting into Virginia. Wait listed. I said, okay. My brother's at Virginia Tech. I got into Virginia Tech. I said, all right, I'm going to make plans. I'm going to go to Virginia Tech. God said, nope. April 1st comes around, 1990, whatever it is, and I get into UVA. He's like, all right, you're going to UVA. I'm like, all right, great. I'm going to UVA. I'm going to study accounting, going to the comm school, two years of prerequisites. Here I go. Take two years of prerequisites. I get wait listed at the commerce school. All right, just got to keep on grinding, keep on grinding. Three months later, sorry, you didn't get into comm school. What? What am I going to do now? You're going to study psychology. What? Why? Because you like staring at people at Barnes & Noble. So here I am. I go, I study psychology. I'm studying psychology. God says, you're going to go into ministry. I'm like, I'm going to go into what? He said ministry. I said, what? Going into ministry. Fine, I'm going to go into ministry. So here I'm going to do. After I graduate college, I'm going to do a year, two years of campus ministry. God said, nope, you're going to do one-year campus ministry. Fine, I'll do one-year campus ministry. I'll then go to seminary. He said, nope, you're going to go up to Northern Virginia. You're going to work. All right, fine. I'll work for year and then I'll go to seminary in Boston. He said, nope, you're going to work two years and go to seminary in Orlando. Orlando, what's in Orlando? Yeah, you're going to go to Orlando. Come to Orlando, four years. I'm going to do seminary for four years in Orlando and then I'm going to go back to the big city. Nope, you're going to do four years seminary in Orlando and then you're going to stay in Orlando. How long, God, until I tell you to leave? All right, so here I am in Orlando. Hey, I want you to get married. That's the one thing I got right is I got the woman that I wanted to marry. I married and I got that one right. Praise God. I said, okay, it's time to start a family. God said, hold your horses, not yet. It's not the right time. So I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. We have our first baby. We find out we're pregnant. I said, I would love to. I, I don't have any sisters. I don't know the first thing about women. I don't know anything about girls uh, raising them. So be awesome. Let's have a boy first, as if it's up to me. God said, nope, you're going to get a girl because you have no idea what you're doing. You're going to learn to depend on me. We get a girl. I'm like, dude, I like this one. We find out we got a second one. I said, I really like Manny. I really like Manny as a girl. So the second one ought to be a girl also. God, would you give us a girl? He said, nope. I'm I'm going to give you a boy to make you depend on me even more. Boy comes out. I'm like, dang, this is crazy. Like, he's got an aiming mechanism when he goes to the bathroom, and diaper is different. It's crazy. So look at that one. Pregnant with a third one. Said, this one needs a friend. The boy needs a friend. Let's have another boy. God said, nope, I'm going to give you a girl. Nothing that I planned came to fruition. But I'm living the dream right now, the best life that I could have ever asked for. Praise the Lord. And so are you. All of your best laid plans, the people you thought you were going to marry, the timing of it all, the places you thought you'd work, the place you thought you'd be in school, the place you'd be living right now. If you're here, it's because this is God's best desire for you. And some of us, not in our wildest dreams, would we ever imagine that this is where we'd be. But that's what happens when we let God be God, Spurgeon said this about our future and about our knowledge of future events. What's going to happen in the future? Two truths. Number one, God knows. Number two, you don't. That's it. It's very simple. Why, you don't even know what tomorrow's going to hold. What are you? You're mist that is here for a little while and then it vanishes. There's a better way, he says. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, will live and do this or that. Make your plans, yeah, absolutely. But write them in pencil and give the pencil back to God. Because sometimes, as they say, the best way to make God laugh is to show him your plans. You're <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, right. I got something so much better because you don't know everything that I know. Right? Keller said, Tim Keller said this. He says, God would give you everything you asked for if you knew everything that he knew. 
but we don't. And so we want to be in Boston. We want to be in another city. We want to be in a different place. We want to have things our way. And when we plan without God, what we're doing is we're saying, God, let me, the throne of my heart is only so big, so why don't you step aside for a little bit so that I could sit on the throne of my life? See, you act like God when you make plans without him. And of all the things that he could say about this, he says, as it is, you boast and brag. He says, all such boasting is evil. I mean, this guy said, today or tomorrow, go this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. What's he saying? I've got a plan. I'm going to go here. You've got a place. I'm going to go there. You've got a time today or you've got a backup plan tomorrow, today or tomorrow. You've got another, go to this city. Your backup plan is we'll go to that city. You've got plans and plans and plans and plans. He's like, you don't even know. You don't know. But when you so assertively speak these things as if you've got knowledge of the future, you're usurping the role that is reserved for God and God alone. Two more truths. There's only one God. It's not you. It's not me. When we try to take our lives into our own hands, when we plan for where we're going to be and what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and where we're going to be without consideration of the good knowledge and wisdom of God, then we miss out on so much of God has for us. And so he says, God opposes the proud. Maybe that's why your plans have been thwarted all along. Because you wanted so badly to do these things and, and you've pushed God aside. That's the story of Scripture, isn't it? It's the story of Scripture. Whenever people did not want God to be God, we either pushed God aside or tried to hide from God, run away from God. Adam and Eve, where are you? Cain, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? We hide with different things. We try to push God away. We run like Jonah from one place to the other, away from where we think God is. But hey, if God made the heavens and the earth, then he knows where we are. And he can get us, and he can find us, and he can pursue us, and he does. See, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The first sin in the Garden of Eden, the serpent said, the tempter said to Eve, the reason God doesn't want to give this to you, because if you eat of it, you will be like God. And so it's been going throughout human history, our desires to take the place of God. And he's shown us two ways in which we do that, through our gossip and judgment, through our making plans without him. The ultimate and the pinnacle of our desire to push God out of his rightful place was when human beings took God, the one who stepped down from glory. They took God and they nailed him to a cross in order to get rid of him. The ultimate and the pinnacle of human pride and evil that God, we can do just fine without you. But if there's one place on the entire planet that is a symbol of pride, how is it that that could be the one place where grace flows most freely? Because we have a God who's sovereign over all of the plans of broken and sinful humanity. 
that God transformed the place of pride and arrogance and utmost evil and made it a place of overflowing grace to all who would humble themselves and to realize that I am in need of that grace, that I cannot do it on my own. God, I need your help. I need you. At the cross, what happened is the only one who could ever judge felt condemned in order that we who are condemned could be set free. At the cross, what happened was that the worst plans of humanity were overtaken by the sovereign goodness of God in order that that place of evil became a place where hope springs eternally. That God transformed all of these things. We look to the cross and we're set free from the desire and the need to be God. When we gaze at the cross, when we kneel at the cross, when we humbly come before the cross, what do we see? We see that we don't need to be the judge and jury of everybody else because we've received grace. When we should have received judgment, we receive grace. And so when grace is received, we can give grace to other people instead of talking about them, gossiping about them, judging them. The, the way that you know that you've got grace is that you give grace to other people. The way that you know that grace is thwarted in your life is because you judge and you gossip about other people. Go back to the cross. And when you humble yourself before the cross, you realize that even the most fatal mistakes that I've made are overridden by the wise, good sovereignty of God that he's able to turn even the worst things of your life into the best things of your life. You can trust your plans to that kind of a God who has every best intention for you. When you come to the cross, you know that there's a God who loves you more than you could ever know, who's a far better God than you or I could ever be. He knows more. He knows better. He's wiser. He's yesterday, today, tomorrow the same. He knows tomorrow because he's already there. And he can bring that goodness into your life. And so he closes by saying, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. We know now what we ought to do, what we ought not do. As we know that the one who gives us these laws are altogether good, may we humble ourselves before him. Knowing what we ought to do, let's live in obedience, joyfully, gladly, boldly, confidently, knowing that he's not going to lead us astray. Let's pray together. Let's uh, take a moment to pray and respond to the word of God. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ, Let's take some time to come before him and confess any ways that we have been uh, wayward. We've wandered from him through judgment or through making plans without depending upon the Lord or surrendering to the Lord. Let's ask the Lord that he would guide us, that he would lead us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ here, we too can think how many things in our lives have happened that we had no control over? Things that, had, that seemed like they were coincidence. Could it be that there was a God who loves you and is, is calling you to come to him? And the reason why you're here is because God is pursuing you. His goodness is running after you. If you're new, if you're not a regular, if you are a regular, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, so many things in your life happen that are unexplainable. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? You may never know. 
But I pray that you would be able to ask God when you get the glory. And that comes. You put your trust in Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the master of your life. And he will lead you so much better than anyone else can. Let's spend a few moments um, just responding to the word of God. God holds our lives in his hands. He knows us and loves us. He cares for us. He's leading us in the best way possible. Let's pray. Let's surrender to him. Let's take a minute to pray. Praying is talking to God. Let's do that for a minute, then I'll pray for us, and we'll continue. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that on this day that we honor the earthly fathers in our lives, that we have a Father who loves us so much better than any father in this world can, who knows us so much deeper than any father in this life can, and who's able to do far more than earthly dads can do. Thank you that, God, you are the perfect Father who's also our judge but who also sent your one and only Son to stand in our place as the payment bearer, as the punishment taker, so that sinners could become children of God. Thank you for that grace. Thank you that if you would not spare your own Son, but would graciously give him up for all of us, is there anything that you would not do in order to see that we would come to know you and live the life that you've called us to live. Lord, help us to know that we can trust you. Help us to know that there's one God, there's no vacancy, you're not taking applications, and you are far better than we are. May we trust in you, O oh good and gracious King. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.